Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We are now moving forward in Shemot. We are in Parshat Ve'era, and we're going to pick up relatively early on in the Parsha. Um, for a Parsha that is so full of narrative that you know and love, uh, Rabbi Schatz and I had a bear of a time trying to figure out what we actually wanted to talk about. Uh, but we got there eventually, um, and we're going to be exploring uh, a couple of verses that you pr- you probably know a little bit better than the verses we talked about last week, although that's not necessarily saying much, um, but verses that you probably know pretty well, and uh, hopefully will still offer some fruitful exploration for us. So... Um, there's already been some back and forth when we pick things up here in terms of Moshe having gone to the people um, and and trying to talk them into this whole Exodus thing a little bit. Um, And it was, it was the end of last week's Parsha, but, but we need it kind of for, for context here that uh, basically they've, they've already tried and failed, right? Moshe and Aaron have already gone to the people and the people have said, uh, hard pass to the whole leaving slavery thing. Um, not just no thanks, but may God punish you, right? Because they've gone and, and their, their labor has increased. May God punish you um, for, making this, uh, for making this happen to us. And Moshe comes back to God and says in so many words, uh, Oi, uh, why, why are you, why, why did you make this happen to these people? Why did you send me? Um, ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's, he's made it worse and, and we're still not out of here yet. Okay. Um, there's, there's an interesting Parsha break here, right? So, so God says to Moses, um, you'll soon see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will let you go. Um, and he will, he will send you out, right? He will, he will drive you out. He will actually exile you from Egypt. That was the end of last week's Parsha. And this is now where we pick up the start of this week's Parsha. Um, in chapter six, God speaks to Moses, um, says, I am, I am yod I'm the Lord. I appeared to, um, uh, the forefathers of Ram Yitzchak and Yaakov as El Shaddai, but I did not yet appear to them by this name of Yudhei I established a covenant with them. I have heard the moaning of the Israelites. And so, you know, pa- pass the word along, right? In verse six, tell them I am, in the translation, it says, I am the Lord. Tell them I am Yudhei I am this specific name, this specific manifestation, this specific way of being of God in the world. I'll free you from slavery. I will deliver you from bondage. Um, if you if you know your your Haggadah, um, you'll you'll see those verbs: Right? These are the things that I will do to get you out of Egypt. I will be for you. Um, I will be your God. Right? This the sense of covenant. And I will bring you into the land. Um, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Lays out the whole trajectory of what's going to happen uh, pretty clearly. 
Um, and presumably it seems like Mo goes and brings that good word to the folks. And once again, they say, uh, pass, right? Their spirits crushed by cruel bondage, right? This, this, uh, wonderful turn of phrase of Kotzer Ruach of like, uh, um, and you don't you don't get it really in in the translation. It just says their spirits crushed by by cruel bondage. Which yes, it's in there, but like from a from a a shortness of spirit, right? That that they just don't have it in them to be able to listen. So that was one more set of back and forth, and now we're going to be getting into the verses that we're we're going to be exploring more specifically this morning. Um, so Moses has tried and failed once more. God speaks to Moses saying, okay, well, that didn't work. Go and talk to, go and talk to Pharaoh anyway, right? Uh, if at first you don't succeed, um, Exodus, Exodus again, right? It, di- it didn't work. So go give it another shot. Go speak to Pharaoh, uh, to tell them, to tell them to let it, to let, to let y'all go. Right. And so here are the verses that we're going to be focusing in on today. Chapter six, verses 12 and 13. Giving a nice little zoom there. By the Adonai more. Moses spoke uh, before God saying, Hen b'nei Israel lo shamu elai, ve'ech yishma'ini farel. Look, the Israelites didn't listen to me. How is it possible that Pharaoh's actually going to listen to me? Vaani arel svatayim, and I am, as as it has here, a man of impeded speech. Uh, to continue um, in a a nice light theme from last week, you might recognize that verb uh, arel in relationship to circumcision. I am I am I have uncircumcised lips. Would be uh, the most sort of accurate way of of directly translating that. And then this next verse, so, so here you see Aharon getting, getting thrown into the mix here. Um, God spe- speaks to Moshe and to Aharon. And he like commended them, commanded them to B'nai Yisrael and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Lehotzi at B'nai Yisrael to take out B'nai Yisrael from the land of Egypt. I'll just I'll just quickly point out. It's interesting that after um, this, this is getting into the Kushio, so so I'll I'll lead into that. It's interesting that after getting a lot of very specific dialogue here, we don't we don't hear what God actually says. Um, to Moshe and to Aharon um, in this verse, but that's that's getting to the Kushiot, and I don't want to take anything away from Rabbi Shantz since the Kushiot are her department, so I will toss it over to her to pick things up from here. So chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, that's what we're looking at. Great. Does anybody have any Kushiot um, about these verses or about what any words in these verses? I think the thing that always amazes me is the idea of the Israelites were not listening to me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me a man of impeded speech? Um, you could read that different ways. It, it could mean that Pharaoh is the person of impeded speech in some ways, but then it says me. So, you know, for sure it's Moses talking about himself. And it also shows that Moses needs some confidence. Moses needs some what? Confidence. 
that yeah. you can do this. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes. It's a, it's an interesting, um, it is to go back to what we were talking about last week, right? With the, who is the he, right? It's, it's unclear. Um, if you wanted to read this without, without knowing kind of what happens next, it could be unclear, um, who the Ani is. It seems to be, it seems to be that we all kind of understand that that's Moses as you, as you also implied. Um, but yeah, what what does it mean that that Pharaoh's not going to listen to me? And is this impeded speech something that we have in common, or something that that I that I bring to the table um, as as a disability of sorts? It's something that's not going to allow me to be as as able to do what I am meaning to do. Other questions, thoughts. This is something that you all know pretty well, so I recognize that. You might not have as many questions about it, um, but would be interested to know if there are any others. Yeah, I, I've got one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it that verse 13 adds to verse 12? Hmm. Because it says in both cases, it's saying, um, you know, it says the uh, about about speaking you know, we, we add, yes, we have Aaron that's added in there as well. Mm. That's the one addition which we have to, which we have to address to discuss. But he says that to, it says, he just says to speak to them, instructing them to deliver Israelites from the land of Egypt. That's what he's doing in 12. And what, what does 13 add to this, to the scenario? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, it, first of all, it adds Aaron. Right. Um, which Aaron ends up being a very important piece to the fact that Moses does not feel good about the way in which he speaks because Aaron ends up doing much of the speaking. But it also um, I'm just reading it over once to answer your question. Um, yeah, I, it, it adds action. Um, right. It adds this this instruction for the actual deliverance, um, because it seems as though Moses, Moses knows, or Moses assumes that they're not going to listen to him, but we don't know, um, to which aspect he's unsure that they won't heed. Right. So it seems like in, in verse 13, that he, that, that addition of, what will they not listen to? The delivering of um, the Israelites from the land of Egypt. But it's a great question. I would have to think about it more. I mean, that I just took that out of thin air because you asked the question. But um, I would have to think about it a lot more to, to see what it added. There's also reason to believe that it might not add anything. <laughs> and then it's just clarifying. Um, but yeah, great, great question. Bonnie. Well, it seems to me that's rather open-ended. It just says instructing them and uh, i don't i don't know whether it's any more clear as to exactly what they should do other than go and say hey let these people go yeah so that would be a little um you know difficult for moses and aaron they do they really know what to do right right how do how do we do this we know what you want as the outcome but how do we get there yeah it's a great that's a great point 
And they don't really even know even while it's happening, right? At every single point along the way, God says, okay, Moses, you do this. Aaron, you do this. So even though we think of Moses as the one who took us out of the land of Egypt, really God was telling us exactly what to do at every given moment for for exactly the point that you just brought up, which is they know they know where they should be at the end of the story, but they don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna get there. Yeah, Karen. Why Moses? Why did God pick Moses? Oh, why Moses? Sorry, I didn't hear the word Moses. Um, yeah, you know, I I've thought a lot about that over the years. And yesterday, I think I shared this during Midrasha last night. Yesterday, I was in a class um, where they were going over a midrash about a sheep that went off. Right there's that sheep that that um, that draws Moses closer to the burning bush. And the midrash is about the sheep and how it actually goes to try to find water. And then Moses watching the sheep go and bend down to drink the water and then kind of sitting down afterwards in exhaustion realizes, oh, the sheep is actually really tired. I should follow the sheep's lead instead of pushing the sheep to do what I need him to do as a shepherd. I'm going to now put him on my shoulders and take him to where he needs to go. And to me, that's why Moses is asked to be a leader. He's flawed. He's not perfect um, in, in anything that he does. He whines, which every human does. And he also leads from within the people. He's never in front. So I think, though I I don't have the answers from God, I think that is one of the reasons that Moses is seen as, as a great leader, if not the reason that he was chosen as a leader. Rebecca, you have your hand up. Hi. Hi. Um, with regard to the question about what does um, line 13 add? Yeah. Um, I think so what it, what leads up to this is that Moshe does go to the Israelites and they don't listen. Yeah. Because they're too busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in line 13, he says, he's talking out to Moses and to Aaron. Mm-hmm. And he says, so the way I understand the sent, the part, is he sends them back both to Pharaoh, but also back to the Israelites again. Mm-hmm to talk to them again. So it sounds to me like he's updating his instructions. He's saying, okay, you're right. The Israelites didn't listen and Pharaoh may not as well. So now Moses and Aaron go back and talk to both. That's sort of the way I'm interpreting um, this addition. He's telling them to go back to the Israelites. I I love that addition. And I love that, that what that implies is that God was really listening right that that God understood that Moses would be uncomfortable alone, and so he changed what what that would be like for Moses and having Aaron also be there. I love that other thoughts, comments, things you're recognizing for the first time okay um Ravish real, I'll bounce it back over to you. I don't know where you are. Your video went away from my screen. I'm here oh great oh there you are oh hello uh, I'll t- i mean I'll while the while the verses are still up, I'll just say I think it's a turn of phrase that I had never noticed before that I mean I'll I'll echo that in terms of verse thirteen. I agree that it it loops Aaron back in. I mean I, it it's funny because if if last week um we were noticing that like so much happens in 
um, that partial, like in very rapid succession and just a couple of um, chapters. A lot happens narratively in this Parsha, but it's a little repetitive, right? It's like, go to Pharaoh, plague, nope, still not going anywhere. Go to Pharaoh, plague, nope, still not going anywhere. Go to, like, it just sort of cycles through that um, pretty consistently. And so there's what to say. There are differences in terms of who speaks to Pharaoh and when Aaron takes action or Moses takes action. It's a little repetitive. Um, but something in here that I that I thought was interesting in terms of verse 13 was this phrase, like, so God said to Moses and to Aaron, and he instruct, he like sort of commended them, he commanded to B'nai Israel and to Pharaoh. So like, there's something about, they're supposed to do exactly the same thing to the Israelites and to Pharaoh, right? It's just interesting to me that those are kind of set as like equivalent parties almost in terms of what God is, is telling them to go do. And, and I I don't know, I'm not, I'm not articulating it excellently, but there's, there's something to me that's interesting about that. Like um, that, that parallel, that parallel construction there in, in terms of why it's there. I mean, I think it's, it's the sort of cement of the back and forth, right? Went to Pharaoh. Nope. Still didn't work. God tells him to go back. Moses says, I don't want to, God says, too bad, you're going, um, which is, again, a little bit repetitive, but but there's something to me that's, that's a little bit of a wrinkle in terms of how, um, in terms of how that's, that's phrased, so, uh, yes, oh, Denise with a late-breaking kushia. <laughs> so, uh, it's not exactly a question, but more just an observation, um, we see it with Moshe most, um, I don't know, most obviously. Um, but there's other people like prophets and things. And I think early in the Torah also um, where people who end up being leaders or prophets or just very prominent, they're kind of reluctant. And they end up being some of the greatest ones. Um, and I guess it just, it makes me think like, Maybe that's telling us something going forward of how to look at people and how to evaluate potential leaders and the ones that are just humble, you know, maybe those are going to end up being the better ones and the ones that are like in the forefront going, I can do it. I'm great. Like, eh, maybe not. Yeah. I'm always, whenever someone gives an example like that, I always think back to my elementary school where uh, one of the kids in the class who was a very, very good friend of mine uh, was kind of the class clown. And everyone assumed that that all all this person had to give was humor, right? That there was nothing else that was kind of behind that humor. And this, I'm trying not to give away a gender. This person is extremely intelligent and had a lot of skills that people didn't pay attention to because they made so much noise as the class clown that you didn't recognize that they could be more than just that, that they could be a leader, that they could be someone who had Torah to share and, and all of that. Um, and even more so that not necessarily this, this person, but in general, that sometimes the people who are the loudest or have the most charisma or the most self-confidence, it seems, 
are actually the ones who are dealing with something very deep inside them that, that they're masking with all of that. So I think that you're right, that, that Moses comes across as he kind of carries everything out uh, in the open, and that might make him seem a little bit more sensitive and less like this heroic leader, but really maybe that's more so like what we all should do uh, in, in being compassionate to one another and being able to lead from our insides uh, to the outside. Alan right. and Bonnie. It, it, it reminds me of the adage that anyone who wants to run for president should be immediately disqualified from holding the office. But uh, that's, that's, that's as political as I'll get today. So. You know, you can say Groucho Marx puts it a little differently. He says, I would never want to be a member of a country club that would have me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, um, but shifting gears to, to the text, I was just trying to focus on another difference between verse 13 and 12. Yeah. And it's interesting because in 12, we're talking about, about Pharaoh. But yet when God responds to Moses, he, he describes him as Paro Melech Mitzvahim. He gives them greater power, greater authority in what's taking place. And perhaps it's saying that, well, because you're going to have to approach Pharaoh and ask to let my people go. You may have to approach him with the proper respect, knowing that he's just not Pharaoh. He's Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Yeah, that's great. That's a, a very close read of the text. Yeah, Bonnie. So maybe it's my background in speech therapy and working with the hearing impaired, but um, I'm taken with the impeded speech part. Yes. And we always know that there's no superfluous words in the Torah. So what exactly um, are we to make of that and how we treat people with impeded speech? And just like you said, the class clown, yeah. um, someone might ignore someone who's not able to speak well. Great. Great. Yeah. And that's going to play at least into the text that I, that I brought today. That's going to play a, a big role. Um, because I think as, as we talked about Aaron kind of being able to be there as a partner and a helper for him, a lot of that starts with this inability, or at least he thinks, um, of his, of whether it's a speech impediment or just shy or whatever, whatever this idea of uncircumcised lips means. Um, that, that it clearly is something that he's worried about and, and needs help overcoming. Rabbi Shapiro. Seems like you had a segue there if you wanted to take it for something you've got queued up. You wanna... no, okay. You can go ahead. Okay. Um, I, this, this is more of like a, a fun, fun texty thing that, that popped up, but um more than there's there's a midrash and so a couple of commentators pointed out that this is um an example of kalva homer reasoning in the torah which is always fun when you like map out rabbinic logic you know within within the within or within the tanakh rather that they say there are 10 because we love 10 um there are 10 different examples of kalva homer logic over the course of the tanakh kalva homer is right if x then why right like if uh you know if um and in this case it's if these israelites aren't going to listen me it listen to me how would it be possible in turn that uh that pharaoh would listen to me right so it's so it's just an, an interesting 
um, and and you can it's it's out of Rashi Rabbah. You can you can look at right. The first example in the Torah was in the context of the Joseph story when the brothers are saying like we we're returning the silver to you, so of course we also like wouldn't steal the cup, right? Like we're we're giving you this, so how could it be possible that we also would have done that? Um, and there's there's a few more um, listed. Uh, listed out um the the only other one that that moses uh has it's later much later on at the very end of dvarim when he says um if if while i was living amongst you now and you were rebellious how much the more so will you be rebellious after i'm gone so not not exactly a joyous ending to uh the moses story but i think we probably uh all knew that spoiler alert uh, Moses doesn't make it into the land. Sorry if you were uh, holding out on that. Um, it's interesting. The, the piece that I found um, that that spoke to me um, in uh, in verse twelve was, you know, a lot a lot gets placed on Moshe in terms of why the people don't listen, and we know. Um, we know this from earlier on, right? We heard this last week about about the ways in which Moshe is um, challenged in terms of his speech. And and Bonnie, you you were um, uh, tiptoeing around this in a in a different direction when you're saying, right? R- reminding us all, of course, that nothing nothing is in there accidentally, right? Everything's in there for a reason. We we already know this to some extent about Moshe. So why why would it be that? Um, we would need to hear this again, right? He could just say, the Israelites wouldn't listen to me. So then how could Pharaoh listen to me? Period, right? You, you, don't, you don't necessarily need that extra phrase um, in there per se. And I found um, uh, off of someone else's source sheet on Safaria, but a nice, a nice chunk from the spot I met the Rebbe, one of the later Hasidic masters who actually taught in the 20th century. And he... Um, he inverts it. He actually says it's not about how Moshe is or isn't speaking. Um, but this, this lovely phrase that's embedded as part of a larger teaching, the prophet prophesizes by the power of those who listen, right? So that, that it's not a question of how clearly Moshe is or isn't articulating, right? That, that's an important component here. But there's a, there's a question of when Moshe speaks, are the Israelites actually willing to listen to what he says? And he, he connects it to a much um, a much bigger picture thing in terms of that's why it takes a little while longer for Torah to be given, and that's why it right takes takes a much longer time for that whole process to unfold. It's and and we we can think about this and, and apply it to any number of areas in our own lives, right? You you can you can be talking to someone, but are they really listening to you? When when someone is talking to you, right? Are you really open to listening to what to what they're saying, or are those words just sort of going right going right by your ears um, without uh, without being open to hearing them? So I, I think for me, it's interesting to delve deeper beyond just sort of the the potential physicality, right, of what 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 the words are actually coming out of Moshe's mouth and and how easy it is or isn't to understand the actual words and and also about the actual experience of um, the people who who might be hearing right the difference between hearing and listening. They might hear the words, but are they really listening to them? So I think I think that that's an interesting piece to play with a little bit. 
So this is a really good segue because this fundament was one of the pieces that I was going to bring. And I actually understood it differently. Um, so Rabbi Dove Linzer wrote, who we actually mentioned, I think, last week or maybe the week before. Um, oh, last week, yeah. Uh, he wrote for Times of Israel this week on this particular uh, um, verse. Uh, and he. this is how he explains the Sfatimet. He says, the Sfatimet states that the answer can be found in the verse itself. When Moshe says that the people will not listen to him, and I am of uncircumcised lips, he did not mean to say that his difficulty in speech was why they would not listen to him. The reverse was the case. Because they would not listen to him, that is what made him have uncircumcised lips. That is what made it impossible for him to speak. That when you know that you're getting up in front of people who are not going to listen to you, who do not have any respect for you, or, um, or, or believe that you are the person who should be speaking to them. Even if they might respect you as a person, they don't believe that you're the person who should be there speaking. That it wasn't a matter of whether or not he felt he could speak. It was the fact that he felt as if his lips were closed because why open them? No one's going to listen to me. So I, there's no reason for me to have, to have the ability or the, you know, the uh, blessing of speaking. And the Zohar, which is the other piece that I was going to bring, um, speaks to a, a very interesting um, kind of understanding of this uncircumcised lips scenario. Um, in, let me see what this source is that I found. In Midrash Tanhuma, the, the rabbis talk about how there are multiple pieces of our Torah that talk about something that is uncircumcised, right? Of course, obviously, the idea of Brit Milah and um, circumcising a baby boy at eight days, but also the circumcised heart. Then there's the whole idea of should we circumcise an ear? Um, that's not in Torah. That's in Tanakh. And then there's one more, and now I'm forgetting what it Oh, no, maybe I said all four. Lips. Um, with Moses, heart with the Jewish people, obviously Brit Milah, and then um, and then the ear in I'm not remembering where in Nach, and the the what the rabbis say in Midrash Tanhuma is that if you speak words of Torah, that all of that the, the the idea of you being uncircumcised in lips goes away. It it somehow magically. You're, you're magically able to teach Torah, even if you think you're not good at speaking. So a friend of mine who I went to college with, he, he's kind of become a big deal in the, word, the world of people who stutter. His name is Mark Winsky. And he, when we were in college, he's a singer and we were in a show choir together. And he would often talk about how speaking for him was very difficult but singing, he sounded like he had no stutter whatsoever. And people like Bonnie, who have done speech therapy before, know that that's a phenomenon. It's not actually, it's not just Mark, though he's a wonderful person. But people who stutter, if you're using your breath in the way that you do when you sing, often it becomes easier for you to speak without hesitation because of your breath and because of the way that the, the, the words and the letters that you are forming are coming out in song as opposed to when you're speaking. They're very, they're different. And I thought about this when, when thinking of the Midrash Tanhuma piece of if you speak Torah, it all goes away, as if that is 
the way that that we are quote singing right if we're going to use that metaphor that that if you can use something that comes to you from your heart and as a way of expression that is not just words that that allows you to to speak freely and to speak uh with confidence so the last piece that I'll that I'll share that that kind of ties into this is from the Zohar and uh, and again, Rav Linzer uh, quotes this in his in his blog on Times of Israel, which I can try to find the link and um, and put it in here. I'm looking at it currently on my phone. Uh, it says the Zohar raises a sharp question on this verse. When God initially sends Moshe, God tells Moshe that he need not worry about his heavy speech, for I will be with your mouth. God says, "If so," says the Zohar. How does Moshe here believe himself to be unable to approach Pharaoh due to his uncircumcised lips? The Zohar's answer, Ravlinzer says, is a shocking one. It was not just B'nai Israel who were enslaved and in exile. Speech itself was enslaved. Their ability to speak because they were slaves was not there any longer. They were, they, everyone was uncircumcised, had uncircumcised lips because they didn't have the freedom of speech. Moshe was unable to speak articulately because the very power of speech was no longer free. And I, I real, I love this idea of it not just being about his inability to physically form words, but that the way in which we speak comes with different uh, with different ease, depending on how you are expressing a thought. If it's through a song, if it's through Torah, if it's just through speaking to someone on the phone, those are different ways of using speech. And so the Zohar in saying that your experience of being enslaved also enslaves your speech, I thought was a really beautiful one. Robert Shapiro has a thought about that or doesn't understand it. <laughs> he has a face. Any Any thoughts on that or questions? Yeah, Nancy. I really like that idea because all during this time, I keep thinking that we're ignoring human nature. Yeah. Which is here's, you know, Moses talking to the people of Israel and their, you know, radical change it to the unknown is exceedingly frightening. So, of course, they're, you know, going to not listen to him at first. But this idea that you had brought up of the um, enslaved speech kind of really speaks to that. Yeah. Yeah. Elon, were you going to say something? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> you looked like you were leaning yeah, in. No, it's just, it, you know, as, as I just listening to the conversation and particularly the issue of uh, Moses's stutter and, and speech impediment, it, it's hard, uh, particularly with the, and this is not a political statement, but particularly with the, normal coming up next week it's hard not to think of the relevance of uh moses's stutter with with joe biden and the lifelong struggle that he's had with that and and um the fact that um you know the difficulty that a leader moses is the perfect example and that one can still be a leader uh, with this uh, impediment. And I'm wondering, I've never read anything about it, but I'm wondering whether Biden has taken any kind of inspiration um, from Moses's example. 
Yeah, I also thought about that um, when I thought of my connection to Mark Winsky, who only became kind of known in this work based on based on Joe Biden. Uh, and I, I hope that the people are taking notice of that, including him. I hope that with this week's Parsha, you know, everyone is recognizing that we're on the precipice of a new leader who is similar to Moshe in a very physical way and of in a way in which they we hope obviously that Joe Biden will be a wonderful leader and and yet he he has spoken about his difficulties with trying to express himself as eloquently as in his mind he's thinking and hopefully in his heart he's feeling uh, and yet we as a people, I think, need to be compassionate to that and imagine that leadership is beyond just how well you can speak and get the words out quickly, uh, but also getting the words out at all and making them be meaningful uh, is really important. So, yeah, I hope I'm not giving that drosh this Shabbat, but I hope that there are rabbis who are because it's a very important one. Yeah, Rebecca. Um Two things came to my mind. One is that this whole discussion reminded me of the movie, uh, The President's Speech. Yes. Oh, such a good movie. So, such yeah. a great movie. The King's Speech, I think. Yeah, The King's Speech. The King's Speech, right. Yeah. The King's Speech. <laughs> right, which is so wonderful where he sings, and that is his... The other thing was that what you had mentioned about sometimes when the audience isn't listening, you can't speak. And and as a parent, I think you, you really feel that when you know that your words are not going to get to the person. Your right. motivation to speak is gone. You right. kind of might speak, but you're not, your heart is not in it. So yeah. um, very true. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that this also adds to, I forget who it was who said that, that it shows just like the humanity and in Moshe as a, as a leader and as a person, um, just that, that we're all at times uncircumcised of lips, right? Or uns, have uncircumcised, I don't really know how to say that in like a, in a, in an eloquent way, but that we all at times are unable to speak without, without hesitation, right? That there are moments in which we stumble through or speak too fast or know that the people in front of us aren't listening. And so we just ramble because we're not sure how to, get our thoughts out while we're distracted by that, right? I think we've all had that. And even if we're not leading people through Egypt, like as leaders in some way, we've all had those moments of feeling like my speech doesn't matter or I can't do this, I can't speak. Uh, and Moses really shows us that that's, it is possible and it is something that can add to your, to your leadership. I think what, what comes to mind for me on that is <clears throat> the, just – in, in a different direction than that, that being a specific experience that happens to everyone, though, though I think it does, is the idea that one of the ways that um, someone can be a, a particularly effective leader is by leaning into their challenges and working through them, and that that in turn becomes um, a hallmark of their experience of leadership, right? That, that Moshe specifically is someone who struggles with speaking and he's the one who, who probably speaks more than any, I mean, I haven't seen the numbers, but I'm confident saying this is true. Probably the person who speaks the most in the whole Torah. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and it's through his words that we become the people who we are, but he has to like literally like push, push through that challenge in order to become the leader he needs to be and that the people who he needs to be the and, and in a in a different trajectory 
um, and, and, and even more of a turnabout, I, you can see that in Aaron as well, right? Aaron, who is the one who, who builds the golden calf, right? That, that he's the one who is primarily responsible for, for the building of this idolatrous object. We, we can get into that in, in a couple of weeks, right? But that, that he holds real responsibility for this. And he ends up being the, the head priest that he, that he manages to find in which objects are built to be of service to God, right? That he goes from being a person who uh, focuses worship around an object made of gold. And then his, his chuva, and then in turn, his leadership is by finding a way to, uh, gather objects to build them into ways through which service of God and connection to God can be attained. Right. So two, two very different examples, but um, when we, th- when we think about leadership and we think about president elect Biden, when we think about um, what is it to be um, a, a leader and a person who can engage that, that we don't, we don't lead effectively. We don't relate effectively as people by, uh, denying and and sort of um, repressing the challenges that we have, we we excel when when we're able to lean into those and to sort of learn through them and connect through them. Um, and I think I think um, the different pieces that we're talking about, the the drash that has sort of organically emerged here of of Moshe and President Elect Biden, right? That that you know. Biden seems to be, at least he projects, and from what we can tell, a very, like, compassionate guy, right? It's beautiful when, when like, I, I love it when Biden cries. I think it's awesome. Um, and he and he's a person who's experienced really painful loss in his life. I mean, that is not an easy biography. Um, and I think... I think that that's a different node of what makes him, to me, relatable and compelling. Um but I think that he can access that, that grief and, and share it publicly in a way that, that is humanizing and, and connective. Um, to me, that's very powerful. And I think that's another example of this. I think that there's also in this verse something that we don't often focus on because we're so focused on Moses's speech that we that we don't really focus on the fact that there's some of the onus is also on the people. Like, how does he know that they're not going to listen to him, right? That they... They need to show him that they're going to listen and they need to take it upon themselves that they're going to listen. And whether or not they like how he speaks or the words that he has to say, that that sometimes you have to listen to things that you don't agree with so that you can fight for the things you do. You do believe in and you do agree with. I when reading this um, this piece of being enslaved in speech, I thought a lot about last week. Um, everything that was happening at the Capitol and just in general in in our world, um, and how many rabbis posted something on Facebook about what it made them think or feel, or you know, standing up to their community. And I and I remember thinking to myself, like if someone were to tell me that I should do that, I would do it a hundred percent. I I I believe that if a community needs that from one of their rabbis, that it would be my responsibility to do it. And it's not its not the way that I process those kinds of experiences. I don't post about it on Facebook. Um, and 
it's a it's a real struggle, right? As a Jewish leader, do you feel do you feel like you have to post something because that's what that's what you think the people need to hear, or that that's how you think the people will listen? Or are do you feel enslaved by that? Do you feel like this is something that is keeping you from actually expressing in the way that you would? And and I'm not I'm not telling you anything about myself, and I'm also not trying to trying to impose anything on my colleagues. But I do wonder if that's part of this feeling of in, enslaved in speech could also be that words just aren't the way that you feel comfortable expressing yourself uh, in this particular moment. Maybe Moshe was overwhelmed and would have preferred to listen and not speak, right? Or whatever, whatever his mode of um, of processing would have would have been. Anyway, so I just wanted to share that because I think. It's a feeling. It's a feel like enslaved speech is a feeling that either you have so much to say and you don't know how to say it, or you don't want to use your words as the way of communication about your feelings. Jay. Well, the one thing that comes to my mind when we read these two these two verses is we talked a lot about the speech part, but we there's another lesson I think they're showing, and that's the lack of listening. And we are going through a time where a lot of people don't listen to each other. That's one of the reasons we had issues like what occurred last week in the in our country, and that we're not listening. And maybe Moses, God, the Torah is trying to tell us the most important thing is that we take a little time and listen to each other. And Moses, I think, like you said, may have wanted to listen more than just be the speaker. And sometimes we all want to be the speaker, but we have to take the time to listen to the others. Yeah, thank you. It's also easier just to not be on social media. There's less pressure to post. <laughs> Coming from someone who is not. On That's what I'm saying. No, I, I, but I mean that very. Like I, I joke about it, but it, um, you, you won't find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Oh. Oh, hi, Rafi. Rafi, you want to say hi? Take a bath. Oh, Rafi wants to take a bath. That's the urgent. Podcast, the podcast world also now knows that he wants to take a bath. It's been at least two weeks since I've had a child interruption. So we were due. Um, Rafi, you can take a bath in just a few minutes. I, I think I know what I'm doing 11 minutes from now. Yeah. Um, so that's good. It's good to know what's next. Um <laughs> That child. Um, he wants to take a bath. Very He's clear. Here. What was I saying? Um, uh, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a relief to me in not having that pressure. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm serious in that. I, I think there are pieces I miss out on. I'm, I'm sure that there are. Um, but there, there's a relief to me of not wondering as I'm as I'm like watching the news or seeing things unfold or whatever it is to say, okay, but what am I going to post about this on Facebook and how do I make it sound rabbinic? And there are people who process life that way. And there are rabbis who find meaning that way. And there's important Torah that's communicated that way, right? That that's not to say that there isn't value or that there isn't meaning in that and, and uh, different rabbis and different uh, community members want and need and provide different things. And that's important. But for me, as someone who who, who overthinks everything, um, 
worrying about how do I make this sound meaningful and rabbinic and personal on Facebook is, is, uh, is, is a pressure that I'm grateful not to have. And this isn't about me, but going back to the Moshem piece, I can certainly imagine how after already engaging in a lot of back and forth with the Israelites being told by God, you have to get these people out of Egypt, um, that it would feel kind of stressful figuring out what the right words are, right words are uh, to, to make that happen, right? God, like, can't you just, we know what's going to happen here. Can't you just get him out of Egypt with all the back and forth? Like enough already, right? You've told me what's going to happen. Yada, 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 Exodus and 10 commandments. Like, let's go here. Um, so, so I think there's, it, I can certainly understand how there might be like frustration. We also saw last week and we talked about this a bit last week, like Moshe's reluctant. You know, he's he's already kind of a, a reluctant guy. We saw that in his tarrying a bit. You know, tarry enough. We should bring that verb back. That he was tarrying a bit in terms of his his uh, um, desire to really go. And I think we see it popping up here too. And it's not unearned, as I think a lot of us are saying. And, right, the, the challenge of, of processing uh, and working through that frustration. Yeah, Alan. Yeah, I'm to make sure I'm on. Oh, yeah, the um, say that Moses doesn't know what to say, he's afraid of what's going on, but yet he's told from the get go while he's still in Egypt that your people are going to be slaves and I'm going to bring them out. And I think he says, I'm going to kill the firstborn, but I'm not certain about that. That's my rec- dim recollection from last week. But if he already knows that that's going on beforehand, then, then in the biblical narrative itself, this whole format of what am I going to say? shouldn't really make a difference because if he accepts what God has told him, he knows what he already knows what's going to be happening. Yeah. Which, which um, connects to what I was, what you're on mute. So I can't hear you. I know. I was just saying, I I would go on the other, like, if you tell me like, here, here is the script, right? Here is the script for how things are going to go. You know, like, like, well, let, let's let's edit this, right? Like <laughs> we can we can skip plot points two, three, four, and five, and we can just like get right to the ending and save ourselves some sorrows along the way. You know what I mean? Like if we know where this is going, okay, yalla. Um, that's obviously not how that works. And there's something to be said, of course, for the process and for the Israelites seeing the power of God as it unfolds and for giving fair opportunities. But, but I could, you know, putting myself in Moses' shoes for just a moment, I could see if I've already approached the people multiple times and they're getting not, not just staying the same and not, not getting more open, but if anything, getting more and more irritated with me, um, I, could see, I, I could see that getting frustrating and, and going back to what some of the comments were about um, how, how experiencing, right, knowing that people won't listen, seeing that as, as amplifying the challenge of feeling, of feeling like I really have something to say and offer in terms of what I'm... But to go back to the Midrash Tanhuma piece for a second, the idea of uncircumcised means that something is covered, right? Like this uncircumcised heart, if you don't have a brit milah, right? All of those, when you are circumcised, that's something being cut away. So the idea of the Midrash Tanhuma is that if, if you are, if you speak words of Torah, you are able to almost uncircumcise your lips with the feeling, with the connection to the Torah. And so to your point, Alan, yeah, he knew what to say, but maybe he didn't feel it. 
Maybe he didn't believe that it was something that he could do or that the people, again, to get back to the listen part, would listen to and then go along with. And so maybe that's the that's the point of uncircumcision, right? That's the closing off is that you need to be able to have your heart also in it, that there needs to be a connection to the feelings of it or else you're right. There's no reason, even if he did have a stutter, there's no reason for him to feel confused or unable to say exactly the words that are being fed to him like he's a parrot. Um, And so I I want to believe that like the Midrash is teaching us that, that in order to unlock that, you have to also buy into it. You have to feel like this is something that you really believe in. And only once, the first time that he speaks without hesitation is the Ten Commandments. Right. That when he's telling the people about them. And so that's how the Midrash comes to this to this point is that it was the words of Torah that unlocked that. And so he finally felt like this is right. This is it. And so that's why I'm going to share it. Huh. I like that additional point about not having any stutter doing the Aserat Hadibrot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I also didn't. I saw that in the Midrash. I was surprised to read it. Um, Nice one. Thanks. I want to I want to actually add with a little a little piece of the ending of Rav Linzer's thing and then I'll let Rabbi Shapiro kind of close it out. But this is what he says his bracha is and I'll add my own words within it. He says my bracha for all of us is that we should all be able to move beyond the exile of dibor of being able to speak that we find the redemption of our speech in arriving at Har Sinai and connecting to the thing that speaks to the essence of who we are. And that we are able to overcome the challenge of, and they did not hear, to become true listeners and to thereby redeem the speech of others. So in, in going into this next week, I hope that we are all able to listen first and foremost and to be able to hear what others have to say before choosing to use our own words and be able to have an open heart and an open mind and not feel like our, our words are, uh, are enslaving us, but rather in the listening are allowing us to feel like we have a freedom of, of speech and of ability to share, um, that which we are feeling and, and overcome with, uh, in this next week. And also in general, I, I hope that it also continues for a very, very long time. Rabbi Shapiro, last word is yours. From what I hear, I need to go give a bath. Oh, what a great way to end. That is what we were talking about. We were talking about giving baths. <laughs> um, do you want to say anything having to do with this? Or is that it? That has to do with that. Okay. All right. We need, to, we need to listen. We need to listen to what's being asked of us in the world. We need to be open to the words that are being communicated to us. When there's a need expressed, we need to respond to that call. We need to find ways to truly listen and remain open to what's being asked of us by the people in our lives who care about us and who we care about. Rafi needs a bath. Amen. All right. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, Hope to see some of you tomorrow morning and others of you next week. I hope it is a safe and quiet and uh, peaceful week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.